A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Well, Mark, uh, thanks so much for joining us on uh, Premier League Live on Talk Sport for this Saturday afternoon. Um, where do you start, I suppose, with uh, your fascinating football journey? Uh, I suppose we should go back to the very start, Mark. Uh, you grew up in, uh, is it Hoyton in Liverpool? Am I pronouncing Hoyton, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, I know you come from a big family. Uh, one of seven boys, was it, uh, Mark? No, one of seven kids. I've got three brothers and three sisters. So, yeah, we've uh, got a big family, got plenty of cousins as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, my uncle Paddy said to me that uh, his nan, was, she was from Cork, and uh, her name was McConnell. Uh, so we've got Irish, Irish background as well. Yeah, I was going to get to that later, but uh, we'll we'll just talk about it there, Mark. Of course, um, you know there was uh, a chance that you might have played for Ireland. I suppose you you didn't get a cap for England, did you? No, no, it was very close. I think in the eighty six season when we finished third. Cluffy was always Brian Clough was a big supporter of me for some reason. I think I think that was I used to give Stuart Pearce a really hard time, and uh, you know I was I was so close to going to the '86 World Cup, but it never really happened to, for me, to be honest. Was there any talk of you maybe um, you know being called into the Irish squad? Uh, Jack Charlton's uh, uh, brought in a lot of players that you would be familiar, with, of course. Uh, John Aldridge from around your area in Liverpool, Kevin Sheedy was there, you know, yeah. uh, Ronnie Whelan and Ray Houghton and people like that. So was there any um, call, uh, any any sign of you getting a call from Jack or the Irish squad at any stage? Not that I know of. I think uh, you know if, if I'd have had the opportunity, I'd have definitely took it because the Irish team was a fantastic team at the time, wasn't it? You know yeah. what I mean? Some great players, and uh, but you know I had a great career, and uh, I, you know I look back, and one of my regrets, regrets was not getting an England cap, to be honest. Yeah, just talk to us about growing up. Then um, were all your family Everton fans? Any any Liverpool fans? Were you all blue? No, we're born. You're born an Evertonian. We were the <laughs> first club in the city, and we're proper scousers. <laughs> <laughs> I know your dad played a bit of football as well. He played at a decent level, did he, Mark? Yeah, he did. He was in the army. He was a PTI instructor in the army. And then when he came out, he signed for Liverpool. Actually. Uh, so uh, Joe Fagan signed him, and uh, he played a couple of reserve games for Liverpool. But then he just uh, he played for Skem South Liverpool, and he had a good career as a non-league player. And uh, I just wish I'd have had his left foot because he was two-footed. My dad and uh, I was all all right-footed. I, I used to just never never use my left foot. Mm. And and I know you grew up in um, with the likes of uh, Stephen Gerrard, Peter Reid, uh, Joey Barton. They all grew up in your area of Liverpool, today, Mark? Yeah, well, I always, you know, when I do my talks and uh, up and down the country, I always say hi to a little, uh, little sleepy village in Liverpool, <laughs> which is not because uh, the, the nickname for Heighton is Heighton Two Dogs Fighting. <laughs> it's, that, it's that rough. It's that rough. The dogs hang around in twos on the street. So, but when you look at them four players and they're all from the same area, Heighton. Uh, you know, you put them together, Gerard and Reedy and 
myself and Joey, it would be some some midfield, I think. Yeah. I think you would like to meet them every week, put it that way. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, that would have been some midfield, all right. Um, when you left school, um, you, you went to play with your boyhood club, Everton, but uh, it didn't go well for you that time as a, as a young lad, did it? No, you know, I, I don't. I, I was a schoolboy and then uh, went through the A team, the B team, and, and I played a few reserve games. And I even went over to Groningen uh, for the under 19 tournament. And uh, I was, it was touch and go whether they were going to sign me as a pro, but uh, I ended up scoring the winner in the final uh, international tournament and uh, got played of the tournament. And when you think that the calibre of the players there at the time, Steve McMahon. Went on for a great career at Liverpool. Ronald Koeman played for Groningen at the time. Mm. So I think they had to sign me as a pro because of what I'd done over there. And uh, they gave me a year. But I was only tiny. And uh, they, they just said to me, I would never be big enough or quick enough or strong enough to ever to make it at the top level. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. That's interesting, yeah. Mark, because, uh, you know, you look at the 80s when, when you played in the 80s, a lot of big physical players. Uh, but, uh, you know, in today's world, I suppose, football today, a lot of small players have blossomed and uh, have, have risen to the very highest level. I, I'm talking at the likes of Messi and Xavi and Iniesta, yeah. and closer to you, Paul Scholes, and even our own Roy Keane and Cork uh, was, was very mm-hmm. small as a young lad as well. Well, yeah, you know, at the time I wasn't strong enough or quick enough, but... Uh... You know, you're right. Uh, when Barcelona, the great Barcelona side, winning the uh, European Cups and all that, it, uh, it was fantastic to watch because it was all small, small guys out there. They were brilliant on the ball. And you, like you're, you're right, in the 80s, it, there was a bit more physicality. Uh, uh, yeah, it was more physical and things like that. But I'd love to be playing at this this time now because you know the pitches are better, mm. and uh, I think it would have suited me down to the ground, but. You know, I, I left. I left Everton and uh, I went to Norwich Victoria, which is a you know a non-league side. And yeah. I've always said this: sometimes in life you got to go backwards to go forwards. And I didn't give up. And uh, in the two years I had at Norwich under uh, Johnny King, the ex-Tramway manager, mm. he just made me a, a you know a stronger, stronger man really. And uh, when you think the next youngest in the team was 28, I was only 18. It, you know, there were proper men I played with and proper men I played against. And I always say. Then two years in non-league made me a player. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm against these, you know, academy players who play against their own age group because once they come up against, a, you know, an experienced, solid uh, footballer who knows all the tricks, that's when they come undone, really, you know. Yeah. It's difficult for them. I know that uh, Joe Royal was impressed with you then. He brought you to Oldham, did he, uh, Mark Joe Royal? Yeah, Joe, but, you know, I always owe a lot of a lot of it to uh, my career to Joe because he, you know, nine and a half thousand pounds <laughs> at the time, he was saying that the, the chairman didn't want to pay that much money for a non-league player. And the first time I met him in Liverpool, I just said to him, Joe, I'll be your best player. And he just laughed. Mm. He said, if you make one appearance, some, you know, vindicated the fee. And uh, I trained that week before the season in 83. And I, I just knew then uh, he had to play me on the Saturday because... I was the best player in training, and uh, when he said I was making my debut against Brighton, I just said to him, I said, I, sh- I should think so as well, and he just laughed. <laughs> uh, and it couldn't have gone any better because I scored on the league debut, I scored a header at the far post, and I never missed a game for them for two years. Yeah. So they got, the mo- they got the money's worth out of me, put it that way. They certainly did, and uh, Joe Royal um, has a good eye for a player, obviously, uh, because uh, I remember he signed Dennis Irwin uh, for Oldham as well, yeah. and uh, he, so- he sold... 
uh, Dennis Irwin to Manchester United. I remember him saying at the time that he sold the best full-back in the country. Yeah, Joe was had a great time for the player and uh, Mickey Quinn brought him in, sold him to Portsmouth. Andy Gordon, Scottish mm. international keeper, you know, Dennis Irwin. But he, what he'd do as well, he'd, he'd, he'd plunder the Manchester clubs for the old players who were, you know, on the end of their careers. The likes of Martin Buchan, I made my debut with Martin. Mm. And it was great to play with some of the, uh, you know, the excellent players from City. Um, and uh, Roger Palmer, there was Kenny Clements, you know, all quality players. And when you're playing with better players, you become a better player yourself. So yeah. I owe a lot to Joe. He gave me the opportunity to get back into uh, league football. Yeah, funny you mentioned Martin Buchan because when I was a young lad growing up in Cork, Buchan uh, was was my favourite player at United. I was a United fan yeah. in the in the 70s. I remember him playing um, as a guy from Scotland. Uh, I think he played with Aberdeen. He was big, no nonsense centre half, wasn't he, Martin Buchan? But, yeah, uh, he was classy. He was he was a gentleman and uh, he was a man that you could go and speak to, and I learned so much off him. Yeah. And uh, it was great for me to uh, to say that I played with that man, you know. Mm. Tell us about your move then after that to West Ham where you spent five years. That was a big money move to West Ham at the time, was it that, Mark? It was, yeah. There was a couple of clubs looking at me and, uh, you know, I was looking to go into the 85-86 season uh, with Oldham again for my third season and uh, it was just about, it was the Tuesday before the Saturday of the league starting and then Joe rang me up and said, John Lyle, the manager of West Ham, will be at the house within the hour. He's picking you up, Mark, with Eddie Bailey's chief scouts because the, the club have agreed a fee of a quarter of a million. So I did say, because the, the, the cheeky chap, he, that, uh, as the, the chairman there, uh, because he was, he was, he was reluctant to buy me for nine and a half thousand pounds. But he was, he was all right to, to say to me to go all the way to West Ham for a quarter of a million. And there was no agents then at the time, Sever. So, you know, within, within minutes, John Lyle knocked on the back door and he come into the house and within, Within 20 minutes, I packed the case and I was down in London. Mm. And uh, it just happened so quickly. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd had two full seasons at Oldham. And uh, I played in every game in the 86 season. So it was a fantastic season. No one no one realised what was going to happen that year. And, uh, you know, we always think we always think back and, and think, if only if only we'd have won one more game or done this or done that during the season, mm. we'd have been the champions. So close, so close and yet so far in that one and you play with great West Ham players that time West Ham had a kind of a name for bringing through really stylish uh, footballers played a great brand of football West Ham and uh, obviously with, with players like that they brought you on a lot as well Mark Oh fantastic you know uh, John on the drive down to London you know he, he was so so good with me and my, and my wife and uh, just wanted to play for the man he was, he, he was a special person John and it was a family club and you know, I always remember uh, my first training session the day after uh, Frank McAvenny had signed and I never got a kick of the ball. And it's the first time in my life <laughs> I thought that I was doubting myself because, you know, you had two centre-halves, Tony Gale and Alvin Martin, who were as good as anybody on the ball. And they went the typical centre-halves from the lower divisions where they just cleared it. These were proper footballers. And uh, I realised quickly that I'd have to improve a lot to, you know, to stay in the team. And like you said, it was you know Devonshire, yeah, what a player! Brilliant. Uh, I learned so much off them, you know. Yeah, and um, you know, it was a tough at the time, I suppose, m- moving to London uh, just just in the drop of a hat, you were gone, wasn't it? It was, to be honest, Trevor. Yeah, uh, you know, it just come out the blue, John. 
John was very good with his signings. You know, what, what amazes me now is like when Man United or the big clubs are looking at players, everybody knows about it. Mm. It's But this just happened. You know, I was looking forward to like this, my third season at Oldham and Joe rings me up and said, John will be at your house. He's the manager of West Ham is picking you up. Be ready. And uh, so there was nothing in the papers and until the next day when I signed and, it, and it, you had two signings that season. Myself and Frank McAvery who signed from St Mirren. No one knew much about us both, but you know, Alvin always says, you know, John brought two players to the club, both from big cities, Glasgow and Liverpool. They were both very, very quick. They were aggressive, and they didn't, uh, they didn't care about anybody's reputation. They were both winners, and uh, it was nice for him to say that. And I think we just added a bit of, a bit of steeliness and a bit of uh, will to win, and and that grit and determination. I think because there were some great players there anyway. Yeah, I suppose it's fair to say over the years West Ham were kind of known as a selling club. They sold a lot of their top talent over the years and continue to do so, um, Mark. And, you know, um, obviously w- when a lot of the big players went, West Ham struggled a bit. New manager came in. I think Lou McCarry was there at the time. Did he come in when you were there? Yeah, it was so sad for John to be sacked. And I still, you know, when I think about it, the way he was treated was bad. He should have been moved upstairs. And, you know, they brought uh, someone who was just the complete opposite to him. Uh, Lou McCarty, for a great little player he was, he didn't want us to play the West Ham way or the way that you know I was brought up to play the game. He told me I couldn't get the, the ball off my goalkeeper. It had to be it had to be kicked up the pitch by Phil Parks, and we had to battle for the ball. So straight away I got off on the wrong foot with him, um, and uh, I was it was only a matter of time before I left the club. But I've always said this: I would never have left the club. If Billy had took over Billy Bonds or someone within, which which should have happened, uh, who who made the choice to bring Lou in was a big big uh, mistake, and uh, you know maybe I'd have stayed at West Ham for the rest of my career because I was so happy where I was. Yeah, and football, as we know, can be a merry-go-round, and uh, things come around. And for you to play with your um, schoolboy um, uh, club, then uh, Everton, the, the club you supported as a schoolboy. I know you were a ball boy there when you were age twelve, and uh, you know yeah. how, how did the move then come that that you ended up back in Everton, um, Mark? Well, that happened quite. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd fallen out with Lou, and you know, he wasn't playing me, he wasn't playing Devonshire, and all the success he had in '86, and he just wanted a different way of playing. And uh, I don't suffer fools, and I told him what I thought of him. And, you know, I had my first agent then, and uh, I was going, the deal was nearly done for me to go to play for, for John Toshak, the great legend, Liverpool legend, and mm. Real Sociedad. Yeah. And it was just over Christmas time, and I got a call late in the evening from Howard Kendall, who'd just come, come back from Spain from Atletico Bilbao. He was uh, he was taken over at Man City. They were struggling really badly. They were... Uh, they were nine points of death at the bottom of the division. And Howard's words will always, I always remember his words. He said, Mark, come up and see me tomorrow. I need a team full of scousers to keep mm. these up. So, you know, Howard was just a great manager at Everton. He was, you know, one of my heroes. and mm. He'd done everything for Everton to Spain. And, you know, he took over at Man City and he got Peter Reid, his general, and he brought me in, Alan Harper, a lot of the ex-Everton lads. And what a job he did because... He didn't have. He couldn't gamble in the transfer market. He needed players and men who could go in mm. and do the job to keep the, the you know a big club like Man City up. They had a great uh, they had great youth there, but they needed a bit of uh, experience as well. And I've always said it's probably one of Howard Kendall's best best jobs he's ever done. 
because they were nine points adrift, no one gave them a hope, but what a great coach and a manager he was. And, uh, you know, I signed for him instead of going to Spain. Just I signed for Man City for Howard Kendall and no other reason because I, I just knew the man was such a, a great coach and a manager. And then when uh, the news came to me that uh, he was going back to Everton, oh God, I was so disappointed because... Uh, One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Like he said to the players, he got us all together. He said, like Tony Bukas, Man City through and through, he said, I'm Everton through and through. I wouldn't leave this club for any other club, only for Everton. He said, I've got blue blood in my veins. And uh, just as he left, he pointed towards me. He said, see, see you sooner than you think. And I thought to myself, does he, does that, does he mean I'm going to sign for Everton? Because that was, that was my club. That was the club I always wanted to play for. And within uh, eight months, I got the news. I was in Cork. I was in the in the hotel, and I, I, Peter Vida gave us the day off because Vida took over from uh, mm. from Howard, and uh, I was having my Guinness, and I, <laughs> I was like, I was "You bet out!" And Big Sam Ellis, Vida's sidekick, come came over to me, and he said, "Mark, you need to go back to the hotel. Peter, uh, the manager wants to speak to you." And I just turned out to Sam and said, "Do you think I'm stupid, Sam?" I said, "I'm not walking all the way over there. He's just winding me up. He picked me Guinness up." And drunk it in one and put the glass back down. He said, Do yourself a favour, get over there and go and see the manager. He's got some news for you. I didn't have a clue. Went to the Peter Reed's room and he said, Mark, get on the next plane. He said, uh, Howard Kendall's wants to sign you for Everton. And it was just, it was amazing news because, you know, when you get let go at 18 and you, you, you're going back there, you know, there's a million pound fee. Mm. It was just amazing. I'll never forget that day. Yeah. And uh, Howard was there waiting for us at the airport. So Cork brought you a bit of luck there, uh, Mark. But I remember, <laughs> you, I remember you were in Cork actually that time, playing against Cork City in a pre-season friendly. I, as far as I, I can remember, I think it was in a, a rugby ground, Cork Constitution's ground, as far as I remember. And I could be corrected there, but um, you obviously didn't get a chance then to look around for your kind of uh, distance relations. You, you weren't in Cork that long, Mark. No, 
we, I wasn't actually, and uh, Alan Harper was part of the deal uh, going back to Everton, which you know I would uh, Howard loved uh, Alan Harper because he was one of them players could play anywhere at the back in midfield and that. So yeah, we uh, we couldn't fly out actually that day. So we had a really good night in Cork, and uh, it was good for me to have a drink with all the city lads because, you know, I'm still in touch with like David White and Paul Lake, uh, Steve Redman, all the young lads. They were a fantastic uh, group of boys, and uh, we uh, we had a few Guinnesses that night before we left for mm-hmm. Liverpool the next morning. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I love Cork. It was a, a lovely place to go to visit, and uh, I don't remember much of the game. Um, uh, I can't even remember if I played or whatever, but. You know, I always look back at Cork as a very, very lucky place for me, and uh, it was the it was the place where I found out that I was signing for Everton. Good stuff. We might get you back to Cork, actually, uh, Mark. When all this COVID nineteen dies down, we could have a big uh, questions and answers night and get a few uh, Everton and West Ham fans on board. Oh, I'd love to do it. You know, it, uh, I've done a few in Dublin, done a couple in Jersey and things like that. So. Yeah, this COVID is, uh, is ruining everything at the moment, but uh, I've got a, a talk down here on the 24th of October in Essex, mm. me and Machiavelli. But, you know, things might change. You just don't know. There could be a full lockdown then, but up to now, it's still going ahead. And uh, I love to, to do these things and, you know, to be with the Everton and West Ham fans and, and especially uh, the Q&A because it gives them an opportunity to ask you a question and uh, I'm open to all, every, any question at all, you know. Yeah. And you scored uh, on your home Everton debut, didn't you? Did you score against Arsenal in your home debut? Yes, scored two, yeah. Scored two. I, I hit one from there. Like Howard, he put, put me on the left-hand side. And uh, I was, you know, for someone who's all right-footed, he said, Mark, this is how good a coach he was. He was just so simple. Don't go down the left and cross the ball because you can't. Come inside and pull the trigger. Because I had a good shot on me. And uh, I come inside after 20 minutes, one, two, and I hit it from about 25 yards and it just killed past the ceiling in the top corner. And uh, I've always said this, that, you know, Peter, I've scored against Liverpool in the derby. I've got man of the match at Wembley. But for me, that was my greatest game of football. But, you know, to beat the champions, mm. second game of the season. And, you know, to pull that shirt on. Mm. Uh, I remember the Zed Cars music starting and the emotions that I was feeling. I, I went out on that pitch and I knew I was going to be the best player on the pitch because I'd waited so long. You know, I'd waited that, that since I was a baby to to pull that shirt on and, uh, you know, every hair on my body stood up and, you know, my dad sadly died a, a year before and he never got me to see me play for Everton. But, uh, you know, I think he was there in spirit that night and, and he blew two of them goals in for me. Yeah, brilliant stuff. And, um, you know, I suppose when Everton went through that successful period in the 80s, Mark, you were at West Ham at that stage, but that was, that was a great period for Everton Football Club in the 80s, wasn't it, in the mid-80s on kind of? Yeah, what a tremendous team. Like Merseyside, the, you know, the, 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 the Kings were the Liverpool and Everton at the time. Mm. Very powerful teams. And uh, yeah. when I look back, and we do look back in, uh, when we get together, the West Ham boys, and we pushed Liverpool and Everton all the way, you mm. know, and uh, yeah. that season, it was a terrible winter. We didn't play for six weeks, and we just kept on winning and winning and winning near the end. And we just ran out of games. And we beat Liverpool, we beat Everton that season. Uh, it was just sad that we, we, we started off very slowly and uh, the momentum after Christmas was unbelievable and I always remember we played away at Chelsea and Chelsea had a good side we beat them 4-0 mm. and it was like men against boys and I always remember coming off the pitch and it, everybody in the country that thought aye aye these, these uh, West Ham lads these, these could go all the way here it's the first time 
you know, someone was threatening Urban Liverpool for the for the title. Mm, you scored some terrific goals in your career. Uh, I watched a good few of them uh, recently when I knew you were coming on, especially at a, a look back and I remember some of them actually from a young fellow myself watching Match of the Day. But um, we'll get to um, what you're doing now uh, shortly, um, Mark, and we'll get to Everton West Ham currently in the Premier League. We'll get your thoughts on that. But uh, when you retired from football, was it, was that the late 90s? Um, I, know, I know you tried management as well when you retired in the late 90s, was it? Yeah, I, I was player manager at Altingham. I went to Birmingham from Everton and uh, a couple of years there, uh, done done well under Barry Fry. Me and Barry really didn't get on, but I thought they might have kept me on. But, you know, near the end of your career, it's difficult to, to get to clubs because you're always a threat to the managers and things like that. So I went and played non-league and managed Altingham Football Club, sold a couple of players to the bigger clubs there and uh, just really uh, wanted to stay in the game as a coach or a manager, but the opportunities didn't arise, you know. And uh, if, you know, a lot of the players, if you're not in the media and things like that, it's, uh, you know, on the TV or the radio, it's difficult for players. And I had a bit of a bad time, to be honest. And uh, I never prepared myself for football, you know, after football, uh, financially or anything else, really. So, and obviously everybody knows that I, I went to prison and I'm not proud of that, but... Uh, you know, it's a big mistake, and uh, that's one big regret that I always have because uh, I let myself down and my family and that. But I've come out a better person, and I'm living in Essex now, so I'm working for the uh, Capital Water. They do all they, they soften the water that goes in dialysis machines and hospitals. So we're we're in Dublin the other week, and we're in Northern Ireland. So we're all around the country really because uh, with this COVID, a lot of people have. Uh, kidney problems, so the dialysis machines they get they get and put in loads of hospitals now. So I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, good stuff. I know you mentioned the uh, prison there. That was like mid noughties was in October two thousand and five. Obviously, a very dark period in your life uh, when you, when you were given a eight year prison sentence. Uh, tell us about you know the lead up to that, I suppose. And uh, you know, I know you said that you were you were kind of uh, you were skint at the time I suppose basically and uh, made some terrible decisions as you said and the isolation of football led, led you to a bit of crime at the time was it Mark? Yeah you know it's, I've spoke to a lot of players and uh, when you when you when you're not training every day and I was I loved training and I was so dedicated mm. and when, when it's when you finish playing it, you don't realize it until you look back and you think the discipline and, and like what you've got to do every day and then it took away from you so it's a big void in your life, and uh, if even if you have not planned your future after football, meaning work and finance and things like that, it's easy to get into trouble. And uh, I even went to Australia to stay with a, a couple of friends of mine to try and open a soccer school out there. But because of my age of forty-two, um, I couldn't get a visa. So when I come back to Liverpool, uh, I met met a few lads who I knew in the, in the pub, we built this pub, and. Uh, I just, they asked me to rent a house out for them, and uh, you know, in a nutshell, it was so they could uh, put drugs in there, and uh, and they was they were paying me for that. I didn't live there, and uh, I was hoping to go back to Australia, but uh, that never never happened because uh, these the, the people that I was involved with at the big drugs firm, and mm. they all got they all got arrested a, a year later, and uh, but I was arrested before them, and obviously they couldn't. I couldn't tell the police who who I rented the property for, so I got an eight-year sentence. And you know, it was a it was a terrible experience, but I've come out a better person, and uh, it's a big, massive regret on my behalf.
Yeah, I know it must have been a terrible environment for you to be in, and I know you wrote the book at the back of it as well. Um, uh, four years you served in the end, uh, right wing to, to B wing. Um, you know, um, what was it like uh, in prison for you? Obviously, very very scary experience. Yeah, well, I was in the Liverpool prison vault, and uh, you know, to be honest, it, it's, it was it wasn't as bad as people make out, but there's a, there's a lot of uh, violence there, there's like a lot of suicide, so. But I'm quite a strong character, and uh, you know, I think the way I've been brought up, and I realised I'd made a mistake, and I just wanted to try, for my family's sake, my daughter, just to get out of prison as soon as it, as soon as I can, and uh, you know, make amends really, and because uh, I'd made this terrible decision, and uh, and that's what I did. You know, publishers wrote to me to to, to write my story, and uh, I sat down one day, uh, and my cellmate was called Paul McGrath. If you can if you can believe that. Uh, he was a lad that I knew uh, was already in prison and uh, he was very uh, into his books and, and, and reading footballers' books and autobiographies so I wrote a chapter over a couple of days and I gave it to him and he said, Mark, that's brilliant. He said, if the rest of the books like that, he said, you know, and it took me, you know, it gave me something to do, to be honest, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And um, I kept myself very, very fit um, in the prison, I think, Going to the gym and, and the booth really helped me. Yeah, I certainly recommend the book as well, uh, Right Wing, the B-Wing, uh, with Mark Ward. Um, I know that uh, Howard Kendall came to see you and he was a real father figure to you, wasn't he? The late Howard Kendall. He was great to you, wasn't he? Oh, unbelievable. He didn't come to visit me in um, in Liverpool for obvious reasons. And then I, I get a, I got a call to the, to the office to see the governor and he told me that Howard and Duncan Ferguson and Howard's friend, Tommy Griffiths, was coming to see me the next day. And I was in the Rochdale prison then. I was so nervous because when you do something wrong and, and you, sit, you sit in this cell and you think about your family and all the people that have supported you and helped you through your life, mm. and then, then you, you, I knew that I'd let them down. But you know, for Howard to turn up, and I always say this about him, you know, he wasn't just a great player, coach, he was a great human being. Mm. And uh, that day... I sat with him. He, he got me a cup of tea in the in the visits hall, and his words to me I'll never forget. He said, "Mark, nothing's changed between me and you, son." He said, "I'm here for you now, and maybe for you when you get out." And I just thought, what a man! You know, he could have given me, he could have, you know, asked me why, uh, what, why did I get into trouble? But then words when you when you know when you're in prison, you need you need support. And um, who better than that? But uh, Howard Kendall, he was fantastic. And it was so sad that he, he died just not long ago, you know. Mm. Yeah, that must have given you a huge lift. Great football man, Howard Kendall. And um, oh. I, I, I know a journalist. Uh, uh, who who spoke to you? Picked a football team of all the ex-professionals who ended up in prison. And yeah, that was interesting, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, there's some big names there. Well, yeah, it was like a, when I come out of prison, uh, the book was, was more or less published and. Well, it was going to print, and I went to see a few um, people in London, uh, journalists who wanted, you know, just my story, really. And one of them, it was Jim White from The Telegraph. Uh, very, very, very good uh, sports reporter. And he done a great piece on me, uh, a balanced piece uh, about my career and me getting into trouble. And then he, he, t- he said to me at the end, he said, Mark, he said, I've researched all the footballers that had been in prison. Mm. He said, and, and from the goalkeeper to the, you know, to the striker, he said, I picked my best ever prison, footballers prison 11. 
and he, he said, can I print it? So he printed it in the paper, and when I do my talks, it's it, it's an amazing thing, you know, when you think about it all. So, you know, a lot of footballers have been in trouble over the years, and when you've got a, a team of Terry Fennick, you've got a Tony Adams, Peter Storey, Gary Chibnall, a left-back, and then you've got a midfield four of Mickey Thomas on the left, me on the right, Joey Barton and Jan Moldy, and then you've got a front pair of Georgie Best and uh, Duncan Ferguson. So it's, it's some team, isn't it? Yeah, some team. I met Jan Molby actually a few times then. I did a Q&A yeah. with him in Cork and uh, I know you talked about him being, um, you know, a Danish guy with a Scouser accent and he's great sense of humour and he's a, a brilliant footballer, uh, even though he wasn't the quickest. Yeah. But uh, I remember once, um, I don't know, it was a Kenny Daglish in one particular match, he was going through the motions and he said, warm up, Jan, you're coming off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, Jan, I've done my very first talk with Jan. He's very, very good. And... Uh, you know, on that night, I was so nervous. But uh, like Howard said to me once, we were playing Liverpool in a derby on a Tuesday evening. He said to me, and he's, I need you to do a job for me tonight, son. I said, what's that gaffer? He said, you're marking fat, son. He <laughs> said, stand, up, stand on his toes for 90 minutes and don't give him a kick. Because everything's going through him. So I, I, it was easy for me to do it because Jan was a great player, but he couldn't run. Mm. And uh, I did literally, I was good at carrying out orders and I stood on his toes. But his humour was unbelievable. Yeah. He patted me on the head, called me one of Ken's dogs, did he, man? Uh, I mean, it was getting a bit personal, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what a player. Uh, the, the game was a nil-nil draw. And uh, I just, I'd done my job and I stopped him from playing. But, uh, you know, that was something that uh, sometimes you've got to do that for the team. Yeah, we might get Big Jan to Cork as well, the two of you, for a big Q&A, uh, hopefully sometime in 2021, Mark. But uh, yeah. we, we did mention at the outset your, your journey, both on the pitch and off the pitch, is uh, usually fascinating. And uh, I, I know you, you were in New York at uh, the time of the uh, 9-11 and the terrorist attacks. I know you were coaching there in New York. But that was some experience for you to, to witness that as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I was a friend of mine. I, was, I wasn't doing anything at the time. And he said, Mark, come out and... Uh, you know, coach the kids. So I flew out there. I was only there about 10 days. And uh, what they like in America, they like the one-on-one coaching. So I started to do that. And it was just all basics, really, of, you know, sometimes there'd be like two two lads from the family. And, and this day I was coaching four kids. And really I was just showing them how to just strike a ball, you know. And uh, I, I remember uh, one of the dads, ran down onto the field and picked his kid up and started shouting, we're being invaded. And I thought, and Jonesy, the lad, uh, the English lad, he got me over there. We, we got all the ball, balls up and the cones, got in the car and then realised the radio that it was, uh, you know, was what had happened, it was just awful. It took me three weeks to get home, but it was just so sad to see the people there that couldn't go back into, into New York and, just crying on you know in the streets. It was just an awful experience. Yeah. How long did you stay there in New York? After were you, were you home soon enough after that? Well, no, because no, there was no flights out there at all. And uh, mm. I remember uh, it took a good. I think it was about sixteen days before I could get back. Yeah. And uh, cause everything stopped. Yeah. No one had no one had the inkling to do anything. To be honest, and it was just a you know it was one of them one of them uh, decisions that I made, and no my luck just to go out there and that all that happened. But, it was a terrible experience. Yeah, could imagine. And, um, you know, roll on 2020, um, Mark. Do you watch a lot of football now? Um, you know, pre-COVID-19, when you go to grounds, do you do you go to watch a lot of football? Uh, 
Yeah, because I'm an, an ambassador at West Ham's games, uh, you know, on match days. So every home game, I'm usually there uh, with the rest of the old, older players. And what you do, you get a job sheet and you go around to the lounges and speak, you know, talk about the, the recent recent games and what you think of uh, the team selections and things like that, which I enjoy. And I host my own event before, before I go to the game, I host my own event before, so I have a... I used to do it at East Ham Workingman's Club, but that got knocked down with the new state, uh, with the old stadium. So it's O'Neill's Irish Bar in uh, Leightonstone, High Road. So I usually get about two to three hundred West Ham supporters, eleven o'clock till two, and I get an, another guest in with me, another West Ham legend, and it's a big, big, big thing for them all because they, they get they get to uh, speak and ask questions to, to all the legends. Yeah, and what do you think of the, the move uh, to the the new stadium? Um, were, were you a big fan of Upton Park? Yes, massively. And you know what? Until it's gone, you don't realise how much you miss it because mm. it's such an iconic stadium because it's so it's so tight and small. Yeah. And I think I remember David Sullivan asking me years ago about the move, and I said, "Listen, you never replicate what you've got here." I said, "It might be you know bigger stadium, but what you've got here is special." Mm. And. Uh, I think, like if Everton move or when they do move, they've got to do it uh, tastefully and, and, and get a stadium that's you know because uh, Goodison Park is a difficult place to go to anyway. Mm. And you know, let's get it right. The London Stadium is an athletics track and it will always be an athletics track. And it's not a good place to go and watch football because they're too far away. Any sporting spectacle, you want to be as near to the yeah. near to the action as possible, and it's just too far away. It's it's ridiculous, but. You know, until they sell the club, uh, you know, someone might come in, someone really, really wealthy, and see see what they can do, and even, you know, get another get another area of the East End and build a stadium because I think that's what the fans want, really. Yeah, you mentioned the Everton move there. How did, the, did you talk to Everton fans? How do they feel about? I think they're moving to the Docklands eventually, is it, Mark? Yeah, yeah, but they've got the site. But, uh, mm. You know, I go to Everton games as well. You know, yeah. and Man City, they they. Uh, let me go to a couple of games in the season. So I've done really well with the clubs, you know what I mean? They've, mm. They all look after me that way. But yeah, with Everton, Goodison Park, they've got to move because it's, it's falling down. Mm. You know, it's the seating's like, it's it's eight, it's 18th really. And uh, I just think that they're taking the time and they're going to do it properly. Um, and, uh, you know, the plans for it, it's going to be like quite an upright stadium. Uh, they've looked at some of the Spanish stadiums where, you know, the fans are right on top of the, of the action. So I think they're going to do it the, the good way, really. Yeah, the game has changed a fair bit since you played. Um, Mark, what are the most notable changes, I suppose, before or, or, or um, since the um, the obvious one is, is the financial gains now for footballers, professional footballers? But so much has changed, I suppose, since you played. Yeah, obviously, financially, the players, it's just astronomical, really, the, the money that they're on. And, uh, you know, players in my area just missed out on that. And I, I, you know, people ask me about that, and I say, listen, you, that's you know, you can't help that. I, I played in a great time mm. with some great footballers, and I was, you know, very proud of my career. Good luck to them, you know, this day and age to get the money. But the other changes are, you know, they, they the, the pitches are so perfect now. You never see anyone with mud on them. Like in that '86 season, end of the season, the pitches are like dust bowls, uh, mm. and in the, in the winter they were like a bog, and. I've done a thing with Billy Bonds a few, few months ago and one of the questions was Billy's all-time all West Ham 11 and someone said Billy, would, would, would any of them team, any of that team be able to play in the, in the Premier League now? 
and Billy just laughed. He went, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you this, every one of them players could play in the Premier League now. Yeah. I'm, asking, I'm telling you now, would some of the players in the Premier League be, being able to play in the 80s? Yes. Right. And that's the, he's, he's reversed it, and it's a good question, actually, mm. because I don't think some of them would be up, up for it, because it was a lot more physical. Uh, the pitches were, you know, bobbly or like a bog. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, I'd love to be playing now because, of the, uh, you know, the foreign influence as well. There wasn't that many foreigners when we played. The foreigners were like the Scottish Randy in, in our team. Ray Stewart and uh, Machabeni, we used to call them the foreigners. Mm. But now they're from, they're from every part of the globe, aren't they? Yeah, it's good you mentioned that because we, we had uh, Kevin Sheedy on recently here on Talk Sport uh, on Premier League Live. And we'd, uh, Great player, what a player. Brilliant, and that was the same. Like people, We'd Ray Houghton on and Mark Lawrence and people had Neville Southall on and, and people were tweet, uh, texting in saying that proper players. They were proper players. Oh, Sheedy, that left foot. Mm. Just unbelievable. And uh, like said, I played against Kevin because when I was in 86, I was wide right and he, was, he used to play on the left-hand side or he'd just float. Wouldn't he? He, he wouldn't run up and down because he couldn't run. This is how <laughs> this is how good a Howard was. You know, just just cheat. His nickname was Cheat because I'd be running past him, looking to get on the on the, the cross at the far post, and then he'd be still just loitering around. And then the other team would just try and get the ball to the Cheat as quickly as possible because the Cheat would put it on a sixpence. Yeah, and it, it, it's great tactics when you think. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just like it's knowing your players. Yeah, that left leg, that left leg of Sheedy's went to university for sure. But, oh, yeah. unbelievable. We about it. T- talk to us about Everton uh, now, uh, this season, Mark. Let's just talk about the new season. Uh, three weeks in, uh, Everton have made a 100% start. How impressed have you been with Angelotti and, uh, you know, his long-term plan for Everton? Obviously, Everton haven't won a trophy since 1995. Is uh, Angelotti the man to bring the good times back to Everton? Well, they've had a great start, haven't they? Mm. And uh, when you think that the, the players that he's bought, uh, Rodriguez, Decore and Allen, they've just yeah. bedded in straight away. And this is what we've... I've always said this, clubs are only as good as the, as the players that they bring in. Mm. Going back to 86, me and Frank were a success, but no one knew that. John had done his homework. And what a season we had. But uh, when you think about it, Calvert Lewin, I read an article the other day and I listened to him on the radio. Now, He's like a new player. He, he was always going to be a great player. Mm. But what he's saying is Ancelotti's got him and, and is telling him that he was once into being in the middle of the goal uh, and not running down the channels and doing things like that to score goals and one-touch goals. And that's what he's doing. But, you know, you've got Gomez, who had that terrible injury. He's come back. And uh, Everton are flying. It's an exciting time. It's just, it's just so sad that the fans can't go there. Yeah. Because Goodison Park would be a cauldron now. Yeah, it'd be rocking. Oh, it'd be rocking. It'd be, it'd be a fantastic place. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you know, they beat West Ham the other day. I've done a thing for BBC Radio Merseyside and, you know, I'm an Evertonian. I'll always be an Everton. West Ham are really, really close to my heart because mm. they've done so much for me and it's where I play my best football. Uh, I just, just hope West Ham don't get into another relegation battle because one year they're going to go down and I don't think they will this season. But I think they didn't, West Ham need to bring in a few players now before the, uh, you know, yeah. before the deadline. Yeah. Well, how about uh, today's match then, Everton Brighton? Do you expect Everton to beat Brighton? I do. Yeah. I think they're just so strong at the moment, and uh, Calvert Lewin can't do anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, Eight goals in five matches. Yeah, terrific. And you know his goals. He's great in the. Uh, he's got a great all-round game. The kid he can hold it up. He's got 
pace. He's a he's got a little trick if he needs it, but he's powerful in the air. And he, as you know, this season he's, he he can finish. And that some of them finishes aren't easy. And I've always said that the hardest thing in football is to put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. And uh, someone asked me on the radio the other day, you know, who's the best one touch finisher that you ever played with? And I, there's only one that I I could say, and that's Cotty. I played mm. with him at Everton and and, uh, and at West Ham, and Tony was a predator in the box. Didn't have much more to his game, but when he had his chances, he he, he buried them. Mm. Fantastic player, great finisher. Uh, the big question, I suppose, this season, uh, Mark, is uh, your great rivals, Liverpool. Who can stop them? Look what Klopp has brought to Liverpool. Um, they're frightening, really. It's, 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 you know, on form. It's hard to see any team stop them, isn't it? It is. I, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of sides have improved. Look, the likes of Everton, you know, already they've improved. And uh, mm. City... They've had a wobble already. It's a massive game for them at the weekend, with, you know, to Leeds, and they can't let Liverpool go too far ahead again. And uh, I still think it's between them two. Um, and I, I, I really, I don't like, like to say this, but I think Liverpool are the big favourites now because uh, City don't seem as strong. But I've got a, a good feeling about Everton at least finishing in the top six if they carry on the way they are. Yeah, I suppose a positive thing for Everton fans to look at is that Angelotti, um, you know, he's beaten Liverpool in the Champions League with uh, with Napoli. Um, you know, he's very uh, astute tactically and maybe he could have Everton, um, you know, um, stopping Liverpool in those Merseyside derbies. He could be the one to really put it up to Liverpool tactically, maybe. Oh, without a doubt. Listen, this man's done it all and... Uh... They all had a, a, a dinner out in an Italian restaurant, in an Italian restaurant in Liverpool, and uh, he was there with the uh, big Duncan. Peter Reid was there, and uh, the, the lads were saying to me, "What he spoke about is so sensible, and he, he's got class. He's been there and done it all, hasn't he?" Mm. And uh, let's hope you know what he's brought this season already with the three players. He's only judging manager on the players that he brings in, and. Uh, you know, these three are, are, are fantastic signings and, you know, let it, let it keep on going for Everton Football Club because I'd love them to win something. I think I think they got United in the next round, haven't they, at the uh, yeah. World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to be a tough one, but, you know, for us to get a trophy this season, that would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, there was a survey done at the start of the season, uh, Mark, with Everton fans to see where they think Everton would finish and seventh was what they came up with. Do you think they can finish above that? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. And this is, you know, you, you can only make a judgment on what you can see. And uh, a lot of, even on the radio, when I was driving in London today, a lot of uh, Alan Brazil and people off TalkSport were saying that, you know, they're all fancy and Everton to be in the top six. Uh, you know, so I think that'd be a great achievement if you can do that. And maybe try and win one of the Cups would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just getting to the end of the interview, Mark, um, there's a good link between your two clubs, of course, with uh, David Moyes, former Everton manager, now at West Ham. Yeah. You know, Moyes has had a rough deal. You know, he's come in there twice to to help them out and never really had uh, the treasure chest to go out and buy players. Mm. And David's one of the managers that just won't buy for the sake of it, uh, which a lot of managers do, and it's a big mistake. And West Ham, uh, before he came, uh, they spent a lot of money on players that are still at the club and are, you know, are not good enough. You know, um, Haller, forty million. All right, he scored the week, but 
you know, week in, week out. These players, they cost a lot of money. So it's all right saying, I'll give him time to find his feet. No one gave me time to find my feet when I signed for Oldham or West Ham. You just have to, you just have to do it. And uh, if, he, if he wasn't up for it, he wasn't in the team. But I think um, it's so important to buy players. And Liverpool always seems to do it. You know, over the years, they always get a diamond. Mm. Suarez, Torres, you know, even going back, they had Kevin Keegan, then they had Dalglish. So, it just they, they always seem to get one. And uh, I just wish Everton were, were better, at, you know, in the transfer market and West Ham. And uh, it, it's, it's got to change. All right. How will they finish then, West Ham? Three points in three matches. Would you fare for West Ham? Uh, or do you think that they'll finish a bit up the table? Well, they need to start winning because uh, they've got some tough games. Leicester's the next one, isn't it? So, yeah. But uh, they needed to beat Wolves, uh, which they did do. And they played very well. They played well against Arsenal. So, you know, I don't think it would be as bad as last season. I think in mid-table, they're not, not going to finish much, much more than that. But uh, they need to buy some quality players. And you know what? They, they bought quality players, but uh, they let them down. Uh, you know, over the years, and Payet, what a player! It's mm. a fantastic player, one of the best players I've seen. But his attitude wasn't right, and he just used West Ham as a platform to to, to, to move on in the world. And uh, sometimes in life, in football, you don't know who you're signing. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure having you on Talk Sport and Premier League Live with us uh, this afternoon, Mark. We really uh, appreciate you coming on here uh, to talk to our Irish audience and we hope to get you uh, to Cork uh, pretty soon. Maybe yourself and Big Yan. Oh, brilliant. Superb. Thanks very much, Trevor. Thanks, Mark. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 